Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate that prayer this morning. Before we begin, before we get into the teaching lesson this morning, I just want to mention to you that next Sunday morning during Sunday school, Jason and Tammy Hughes, missionaries to Papua New Guinea with Ethnos 360, will be sharing their ministry presentation with us. Again, that's at 9.15 to 10.15. I will still be preaching next Sunday morning, but we strongly encourage you to be here for Jason and Tammy's, uh, Tammy Hughes' uh, presentation to us. Look in the bulletin, the announcement about it is there and you can read about that. Well, this morning is Father's Day. On Mother's Day, I challenged our mothers to treasure God's word in their hearts. I challenged them to memorize the word of God. Today I want to challenge our fathers and I want to challenge all of us as fathers to be men of prayer, to be men of deep prayer. Now, I always say this, but I think it's important. This is for all of our men. And you may be a single man here who hopes to be a father someday. Um, this is for you. And this obviously is for all the ladies here as well. So I'll be speaking specifically to our fathers, uh, but it really is for all of us. We have been looking at prayer in the Gospel of John. We saw just last week that Jesus said to the disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes in that hour, on that day, you will no longer ask me to pray to the Father for you but you will pray directly to the Father in my name. You will have direct access to the Father. And I shared with you last Sunday morning that prayer is perhaps one of the greatest privileges ever given to a human being in all of existence. The passage that I've chosen this morning is from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. It is Jacob wrestling with God, and I'm just going to read it for you, then explain it a little later, and I think you'll see why I chose this particular passage for this morning. In Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32, it says the same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. 
The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. Our first point this morning is a challenge to pray. This morning I want to challenge every father that you are the person that God has chosen to go to war in prayer for your wife and your children. It's the most important thing I'm going to tell you this morning right up front. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this. Dads, you, you are the person that God has chosen to go to war in prayer for your wife and your children. Men, I want to challenge us with this thought. If you don't pray for your wife and children, no one will. Now, maybe there's a grandma, a grandpa, a godly aunt or uncle that also prays for your wife and your children. But the primary responsibility of going to war in prayer for your wife and your children is on you. It's on you. And there is no one in the world who can take the respons this responsibility except you. No one. And I want you to understand this morning that when you pray for your wife and your children, I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I'm not talking about bless my children, keep them safe, help them to find a good job. Nothing wrong with those prayers. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about going to spiritual warfare in prayer for your wife and your children. You know, it struck me this week as I was preparing. You know, there are millions of people in this world. Millions of people in this world, no one ever prays for them. Not specifically. Not by name. Or we may pray for a region of the world. We may pray for an unreached people group. There are millions of people who live and die and no one prays for them. Not specifically. Not by name. Let that never, ever be said about your wife and your children. I want to share a quote with you that I've shared with you before. It's a quote that both inspires me and haunts me. It's from John Piper. He writes this, It is amazing to think that God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, would ordain that prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. Men, I want you to really let that settle in this morning. Prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if we did not pray. My question for me and my question for you is this, do you really believe that? If you don't believe that, you won't pray. You won't pray. There are things that don't happen. Men, there are things that don't happen because you don't pray. Because you don't pray. And I'm going to say this, men, 
as you go through the journey of your Christian life on this earth, you're going to meet very few people who really give themselves to prayer. Very few. I don't know why that is. We all feel the burden. We all know it's important. But you'll meet very few people who really give themselves to prayer. Again, John Piper writes this. The hard truth is that most Christians don't pray very much. They pray at meals. They whisper prayers before tough meetings. They say something brief as they crawl into bed. But very few set aside set times to pray alone. And we wonder why our faith is weak and our hope is feeble and our passion for Christ is small. I'm challenging all of us to set aside set times of prayer and not just prayer, but intense prayer for our wives and our children. There are other things we will pray about, but this focus today is on your wife and your children. I want every father to see this morning that when Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32, he was wrestling all night long in prayer. And that is why I have chosen this particular passage. I want you to see that when Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32, he was wrestling all night long. In the night it began and it ended in the morning but he wrestled all night long in prayer. It became the most important time in Jacob's life, and Jacob's life would never again be the same because of that night in prayer. In verses 22 and 23, it says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Here's the background if you're not familiar with it. Jacob has sent word to his brother Esau that he's become a wealthy man and he'd like to see him. He hopes to appease him. And word gets sent back to Jacob that Esau is coming and 400 men with him. And Jacob is afraid. You see, the Jacob and Esau at this point have not seen each other for 20 years. For 20 years. And just a little over 20 years before that, Jacob twice had deceived and cheated Esau out of his blessing and out of his birthright. And the Bible tells us clearly earlier in the book of Genesis that Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And now Esau's coming. And he's got 400 men with him. 400 men in the Old Testament is actually used quite often. It means a regiment, a battalion, a group of soldiers. And Jacob, if you read through chapter 32, he's convinced that Esau's coming to kill him and to perhaps kill his wives and his children. And so he prepares gifts. He, he has three units set up much farther ahead with all kinds of flocks and herds and people, flocks and herds and people and flocks and herds and people so they can meet Esau when he comes and hopefully appease him and calm him down before he finally gets to Jacob. 
And then Jacob takes his two wives, his two female servants, and 11 children, and crosses the ford at the, the Jabbok. Then he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And in verse 24, it says, and Jacob was left alone. That's a powerful little sentence. He's all alone. He's all alone with his thoughts. You see, Jacob had spent his entire life being a deceiver and a cheater. That's what his name means. That's what the, Jake, where the name Jacob means. It means heel grabber because he grabbed the heel of Esau as Esau was coming out of the womb, pulled him back. But it means deceiver and cheater. And Jacob had spent his entire life cheating and deceiving to get everything that he had. He was strong. He was clever. He was smart. He had accumulated a lot of wealth. But now he's, af he's afraid. He's afraid that his brother is coming with a large group of men to kill him. And so it says at the end of verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So a man comes when Jacob is all alone and he wrestles with him. Folks, he literally wrestles with him. And this man is God. And we'll see that as we go along. It's the angel of the Lord, but somehow, I don't understand it all. This is a man, it is God in physical form. And he has come to Jacob to wrestle with him, to break him of his cheating and his deceiving. And so he literally wrestles with him all night long. Now we'll learn, lady, that this is the angel of the Lord. John Calvin believes that this is a pre-incarnate appearing of Christ. Others hold the same position. We really don't know. And again, I don't understand it all. But this, as we will see, is God wrestling with Jacob. And in verse 25, it says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He saw Jacob struggling. doesn't mean God can't overcome Jacob. It just means Jacob kept struggling and struggling all night long. And it's interesting, the term he touched his hip socket means to touch very gently. He very gently touches his hip and wrenches it, puts it out of place. He has no more leverage. He can't put his weight on it. He is completely weak. He's right where God wants him. Verse 26. And he said, let me go. The man, God says, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Notice that he said, let me go, or excuse me. But he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not go unless you bless me. What is Jacob saying here? He is saying, I'm weak. I need you. 
bless me. Jacob is at a very good point right here. He's at a very good point. He's saying, Lord, bless me. He isn't looking for some, some think he's trying to deceive God into getting a blessing. That's not it at all. When he touched the sop of his hip, then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, I need you. I need you. Now I want you to stay with me here. He's like, Lord, I need you. I need you. I want you to bless me. And verse 27, he, the Lord, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now why is God asking him his name? He knew what his name is. Do you know why he's asking Jacob his name? Because he wants Jacob to say it. Jacob, tell me your name. Tell me your name. Tell me your name. Your name is Jacob. Your name is deceiver. Your name is cheater. Your name is heel grabber. I want you to say it. I want you to say it. And men, when we wrestle with God in prayer, he says to you, tell me your name. Tell me your name. And you know what your name is? Your name is sinner. Your name is weak. Your name is helpless. Your name is John 15, 5, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. That's your name. Say it. Tell me your name. Then he said, verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Your name is no longer going to be cheater and deceiver. I have come to break you. I have come so that you will put your entire trust in me. You are going to be called Israel, the one who strives with God. The one who wrestles with God. And men, that's what God says to you. Your name is no longer sinner. No longer weak. No longer helpless. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's your new name. Your new name is adopted into the family of God. Your new name is abiding in Christ. That's where your victory is at. That's your new name. So he's no longer Jacob, but he is Israel. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Oh, amazing verse. So he says to God, tell me your name. He says, why do you ask my name? Why do you want to know my name? Jacob, I want you to spend the rest of your life getting to know my name. I want you to spend the rest of your life getting to know me. Keep asking that. Why do you ask my name? Keep asking it. What is my name? Who am I? Jacob, keep asking, keep asking. And it says in there he blessed them. You know what Jacob's blessing was? It wasn't flocks and herds and men servants and maid servants. It was God himself. He had learned to put his trust in God and his life would no longer be the same. Why do you want to know my name? And he blessed him. And he blessed him. Verse 30, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have striven, or excuse me, I have seen God face to face, 
and yet my life has been delivered. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. What a verse. He knew who it was. There is no misunderstanding in the interpretation of this passage. The man who wrestled with Jacob was God himself. Jacob, and again, I don't understand every aspect of it, but Jacob saw God, wrestled with God face to face, and he says, whoa, and I'm still alive. I'm still alive. My life has been delivered. I saw God face to face, and I'm still living. Verses 31 and 32, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This story is legendary among the Jewish people. Jacob walked away limping. He lost the wrestling match, but he gained the greatest victory of his life. No longer deceiver, no longer cheater. It was the man who wrestled with God, who strived with God. And even to this day, this is, verse 32 refers to when this was written, but even to this day, they tell the story of Jacob wrestling with God. In Hosea chapter 12 and verses 4 and 5, there is a wonderful commentary on this passage that you won't find in this passage or anywhere else. Hosea chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, speaking of Jacob, says this. He, Jacob, struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord Almighty, the Lord is his name of renown. This is speaking of two different times when Jacob met with God. The second was at Bethel when he talked with God there. But the first one, is referring to Peniel. He struggled with the angel. Here we see it was the angel of the Lord. Somehow, the physical coming of God to wrestle with a man and overcame him. But I want you to notice this, guys. He wept and begged for his favor. While they were wrestling, Jacob, wept and begged for God's favor. John Bloom, who writes for Desiring God Ministries, says that you will never, using Genesis 32, says you will never fully know God. You will never learn how God can use your life unless you are willing to wrestle with him in prayer. Unless you are willing to wrestle with him in prayer. I always think of Jesus' prayer life. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. We often think of prayer as this kind of peaceful, lying in a bed of daisies, just communing with God. And, and don't misunderstand me, there is that aspect of 
prayer. We love to sing in the garden. He walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you I think the predominant picture of prayer in the Bible is spiritual warfare. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's not on the screen. So I've got some more verses that won't be on the screen. Just, you might want to jot them down if you want. That's Luke twenty-two forty-four. But Jesus prayed so earnestly. He was in such anguish that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Fathers, you are the person that God has chosen to go to war in prayer for your wife and your children. If you don't pray for your wife and your children, no one will. Our second point this morning is the reality of spiritual warfare. We must beg God to open our eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare that is taking place in our own families. Guys, we need to beg that God would open our eyes to the spiritual warfare that is not only happening in the world, it's happening in our families. If your wife or your children were in physical danger, if someone was trying to kill them, kidnap them, harm them, you would do anything to save them. Men, you'd die. You would die to protect your wife and your children. I know you would. Well, I want you to understand this morning, spiritually, your wife and your children are in danger. There is a spiritual war going on for the souls and lives of your family right now. And the mastermind is not Vladimir Putin, it's Satan himself. In Ephesians 6.12 it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Dads, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Marriages are struggling. My guess is this morning in a crowd like this and those watching live stream, there are some of you right here this morning and your marriages are going through a hard time. Maybe no one else knows, but they are. You need to pray. I mean, you need to pray. When couples come to count to counsel with me and they're having severe marital struggles, I'll often challenge them. You need to pray like you've never prayed before. The vast majority of the time, not every time, the vast majority of the time I don't think they do it. We'd rather blame each other. That's what it ends up being. You should see how he treats me. You should see how she treats me. You don't know him, you don't know her. But even if your marriages aren't struggling, guys, we need to pray for our marriages. They are targets of Satan. We need to pray not only that our wives would be strong in the word of God, strong in prayer, that they would be built up in Christ, that they would walk with Christ, but we need to pray for ourselves. We need to ask that God would show us where we are failing. 
how we can better love our wives, how we're falling so short. We need to beg God to help us be better husbands. We have struggles with our children. We have struggles with our children at all stages, behavioral struggles, things that are going on in their lives. Our kids go through spiritual struggles. Our kids have medical problems. Our kids have learning disabilities. They go through all kinds of things in their lives. We need to be praying for them. I want to give you one example this morning that I think really exemplifies this. Many Christian families have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. They're raised in a good Christian home, and for whatever reason, they have a son or daughter that just wanders away from the Lord or just goes through a time of rebellion in their lives. And as dads, we don't know what to do. And there's something about us as men, we, we tend to go to one extreme or the other. Some men are the hardliners. They're going to kick you out of our house. We want to get in their face. We get angry. We get defensive. We get embarrassed. What are people thinking? That's my son. That's my daughter. So we're quick to tell them. That's not how they were raised. That's not what we taught them. And then we have fathers who go to the other extreme. They become the classic passive father. Throw up their hands. Nothing I can do. Don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to disrupt the family. Just let it go. Dads, I want you to know this morning there's a better way. There's a better way, and that way is prayer. That is to go to war in prayer for your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter. And I mean you really pray for them. Pray for them. It happens, guys. It happens in the best of families. Billy Graham, two of his children at points in their lives, wandered away from the Lord and rebelled. John Piper had one of his sons go through a time, fairly long period of time, where he walked away from the Lord. And I'll never forget listening to John Piper on a, on a video. So I looked in my son's eyes, and there's just nothing there. Nothing there. Nothing spiritual. David Jeremiah, his, one of his daughters, went through a terrible time of rebellion. He ended up sending her off to a boarding school that dealt with rebellious children. It inspired him to write the book exposing the myths of parenthood, the myths that Christian parents believe about parenting. I'll never forget many years ago listening to Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. She's been with the Lord for quite a few years now, but this was on Family Life Radio many years ago. They were interviewing her, and at this time, she was telling the story about Franklin Graham. He went through a terrible time of rebellion. She said she and Billy, there was just nothing more they could do. He just wasn't listening to them. But she began to describe how she went to war in prayer for him. She didn't use those exact words, but man, I'll tell you, she said she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And you know, we know the end of the story. Today's an internationally known evangelist, had a Samaritan's purse, but she didn't know that. She prayed her heart out for her son. She went to war for him in prayer. How do we pray for our children in spiritual warfare? I'm just going to give you four quick thoughts here. There are many more that 
we could give. Pray for their salvation. And I'm not saying just pray that they say the sinner's prayer. I mean really pray that your sons and your daughters would know for sure in their heart of hearts that they are saved, that they know Christ as their Savior. Two weeks ago, on Sunday night, in our baptism membership service, Ben Case gave his testimony and shared. It was a powerful testimony. How he had prayed to receive Christ when he was younger. But later on, when he was in the Marines, he came to the conclusion he'd never genuinely been saved. God convicted him of his sin. He truly gave his life to Christ. I've had some good talks outside of that with Ben because it's my own story. It's my salvation testimony. I, there was a time when I was young that I prayed the sinner's prayer and then came to a realization in my life later on that I wasn't saved. Pray. Pray that your children really know they're saved. Second, pray that your children would walk with God. You know, I, in, during the my preaching in the Gospel of John, I've talked a couple of times about people of, you know, famous people have just abandoned the Lord, denied the Word of God. And I think what happens is kids grow up in Christian homes and they know the right words to say, they know the right things to do, but they never really learn to walk with God. They never learn to enjoy His sweet fellowship. And one day, all it is is a bunch of rules a bunch of do's and don'ts, and they walk away from it. We need to pray for them. Third, we need to pray that they would be strong in the word of God and in prayer. Pray, however, whatever it takes, that they would get the word of God in them from your instruction, from instructions from other godly people in church or whatever. Pray that they would be strong in the word of God and in prayer. And then, perhaps most importantly, pray pray that they would take up the full armor of God, that they would be strong in their fight against temptation. Your children, as they grow up, are going to be tempted every single day with sin. You know how I know that? Because I am. And so are you. Every day, we struggle with the temptation of sin. And we need to pray. I mean, really pray for our children. Dads, every single day, young man here today or in families watching by live stream every single young man at some point in his life is going to be tempted by pornography every mm -hmm. single one of them and so will some of our young ladies they're going to be tempted about sex they're going to be tempted about whether or not they can really trust and believe the word of God. They're going to be tempted about what's right and what's wrong. We live in a culture and world in which there is absolute chaos and confusion about what's right and what's wrong. Oh, we need to pray. We need to go to war in prayer for our children. Fathers, do not, do not abandon your God-given responsibility because you think you're too busy or you're not qualified. I want to say one more time this morning, if you don't pray for your wife and children, no one will. No one will. You're it. 
It's on you. And if you think you're too busy, I want you to know there is nothing more important in your life that you will do than praying for your wife and children. Yes, you will instruct them in the word of God. Yes, you will love them. You will nurture with them. You will nurture them. You will seek to be a good father to them, but there is nothing in your earthly life that you will do that is more important than going to war in prayer for your wife and for your children. I don't care how busy you are. This is your top priority. And if you think you're not qualified, let me say this. Every father who knows Christ as Savior is qualified. You pray. I don't, I don't care what your educational background is. I don't care how much of the Bible you think you do or don't know. Men, don't say, don't say, well, my, my wife's better at this. That's kind of her area. No, it's not her area. It is, she should pray too. But this, this is your area. I don't care who you are. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can do this. You are fully qualified. Let me close. I've tried to think of a simple sentence to summarize this entire sermon. I don't know if this is the best way to say it or not, but this is how I, what I came up with. Fathers, when it comes to praying for your wife and your children, pray your guts out. When it comes to praying for your wife and your children, you pray your guts out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us fathers who are strong in prayer. Impress upon us the absolute importance of praying for our wives and our children. Help us not to abandon our greatest responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen.